Happy New Year. I am so glad to be back for another season of Reverse Ambition Podcast, sharing amazing stories of those who took a leap of faith to follow their passion and dreams. I am starting out this season with a two-part episode featuring Lawrence Kazmier, a world traveler and human resources guru who found herself immersed as an owner in the very lucrative New York City dog walking industry. In part one, she shares her educational background and how she dived into traveling abroad. She also shared how she became a human resources guru and how it led to her walking dogs and doing building renovations. <laughs> Go figure. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to another episode of Reverse Ambition, a podcast that features those that take a leap of faith to follow their dreams and passion. Today's guest's goal is to motivate others to live their best professional and personal explorer lives. She has experience as a accredited director of human resources for various Fortune 500 firms, along with small retail firm as a consultant for the last 15 years. In 2014, she launched her consultant firm, What Now HR, a full-scale human resources, benefits, and payroll firm combining her entrepreneurial experience along with multiple certifications in human resources. She has traveled over 52 countries, and she is very passionate about providing insight inspiration and travel education her goal is to expose unique parts of the world from the african-american female point of view to photography and conversation with foreigners with that mission she has founded love life lc a travel lifestyle company please help me welcome lawrence kazmir what's up lawrence hi how are you <laughs> how you doing did i do justice in your bio I think so. That's the best I've heard to date. So that was awesome. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I just wanted to make sure people know who you are, why you, why I'm talking to you, and why your story is going to be amazing. Um, awesome. My first question is, take me through your journey starting from where you grew up, um, what school you went to, what you majored in, and how you got to where you are now, and I'll just ask you follow-up questions as you, you know, tell your story. Does that work? <laughs> okay. I tend to be pretty long-winded, so don't, hey, um, listen, don't be listen. scared. Be like, cut it off, cut it off, too much, too much. Don't worry. <laughs> I actually like my, want... my interview critique. I actually want people to tell their whole story because I really want people to understand your journey, the ups and the downs. So please yeah. feel free to take as many, as long as you you need to, uh, you know, tell me, tell us, you know, where you've been. That works. Okay. Okay. Um, so I am a New Yorker. Uh, my family background um, is a Haitian and Dominican. Um, and I've been in the United States uh, since I was about five years old. Um, we grew up, or I grew up uh, in and around Brooklyn, predominantly around um, Sheepshead Bay. Uh, went to private school up until college, so I was one of those Catholic school girls, um, mm. all-girl Catholic school um, for high school, and then also Catholic school for uh, junior high school. Um, college, I went to NYU, so spent a lot of my time running around the streets of, of New York, probably for about a year, um, about three years of my college life. Um, I was a travel abroad student, um, which is where the passion and fascination for travel comes into play. Um, so I spent many semesters um, basically living abroad until about my last year when I had to come back to obviously close out my graduation life. Mm -hmm. um, Where did you live? Where do you live abroad? Uh, Russia, Egypt, and Tokyo. Oh, nice. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's uh, dope. Yeah. What was your major so, in college? History and international public relations. Oh, wow. So that's what led you abroad. Yeah. 
that's what that's what led abroad. Um, I went in as a history major, um, and then I was walking past the travel department one year, um, the, my first year, um, second semester in, um, and you know you see all these pretty pictures on the wall, and I and I, I stopped, and the woman who runs the program came out, and she's like, "Oh, would you like to sign up for, for study abroad?" And mind you, I come from a very strict Caribbean. Um, Caribbean home. I've mm-hmm. got into colleges, you know, out of New York State, and my parents were like, "Why you you got into someplace here in New York? Why go there?" Mm. So when she started talking to me about travel abroad, and I was like, "Well, what 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 do you have to do, and what how does this work?" Um, she's like, "Well, you know, if you get accepted into a program, it's the same kind of you know financial aid as what you know you're presently taking part of. Could be a little bit more, but you know, it's just instead of you studying." Um, your your history class, whatever it may be here in New York City, you're just going to do it in that country and then also take a few classes focusing on that particular country. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, this is interesting. So in my head, honestly, I thought it was my first potential chance of escaping my parents wow. and then them, me taking advantage of the culture differences, them not really understanding that international travel is not something that one must do to graduate. It's not like you must go to this country, otherwise you're going to graduate. Um, it is a bit of a luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, went home because um, I was living at home and I said, you know, um, you know, I have to take this class on, 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 um, on, on India. I have to take this class. And, but ironically enough, um, you know, the only way for me to really get the full best grade is I have to go to that country for like a month. Mm, and they're like, wow. what are you talking about? That's a curse. But they're like, what the F are you talking about? Like, are you crazy? I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand why, you know, she's telling me that I have to do this. And, you know, a couple a month of back and forth and them trying to wrap their head around it. Um, they finally got it, and I finally um, went to India. Was the first place that I dropped into in Mumbai, and I was there for about a week because the first day that I got to India, um, I literally almost passed out. Um, I thought I was going to die. It was the first country I had ever hit, and I thought, "Oh my God, this place is crazy. I'm going to die here. I, 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 I'm so scared." I literally ran to. Um, the office, um, you know, for NYU, and I was like, I need help. You guys got to get me out of here. This place is crazy. I can't do this. What didn't you what like about thinking. India? <laughs> it was so, back then, to me, my first place that I had ever been, it was so packed. I mean, you know, think about, you know, if anyone's ever been on the New York City subway, um, think about, you know, that 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock mm. rush hour train um when you literally are like elbow to elbow and you can smell what the person has for lunch mm. close um mm. and it was that times 10 um and it just freaked me out um and also you know the smell going into the city the smell got to me and the people they were moving so quickly um now fast forward you know 10 years um you put me in that kind of situation i'm loving it. i'm pulling out my phone and doing right. but that was your like first every second that was your first <laughs> international that trips was my, my first and so i was out of there um in about a week um and she's like all right fine the only other program i could find to put you in um is in tokyo and i was like yeah sure whatever anything is better than this let's go um, and so I, you know, flew to New York, stayed here for about two weeks, and then went and started my program um, in Tokyo. Loved it. No issues, no problems. Um, it didn't feel as dramatic as mm. India. Um, now, in, in this stage of my life, I'm dying to plan a trip to go back as an adult um, with different senses of travel and, mm. you know, experiences of people. Um but so, yeah, so international um, studies student, uh, then also um, went to Russia, 2014. Yes, did Russia um, and then came back and finished up um, here in New York City for a year. How was Russia? So that was, uh, uh, Russia was actually cool. I, I didn't have any, I want to say maybe my first month there, um, I felt a tiny bit a tiny bit of racism. Um, but honestly, I don't even want to touch on it because it really was so tiny, but I felt it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't scare me and it didn't make me feel uncomfortable to me. I just thought, you know what, I'm the only like black girl here in the program. Everyone I was in the program with um, was 
American Russian, mm. um, or they were, you know, Asia, I had Asians in my program. Um, I had some Indians in my program. I was the only African American um, in the program. So I just thought they were fascinated, like, who's this one black girl? Right. Um, and so some of the looks to me were a little bit, you know, they made me feel a little uncomfortable. But my second month there, I was fully integrated. Um, I had a work study program in this beautiful Russian shop, and I got to meet a ton of people and had great conversations. So it was a very good experience. How was um, the language? How was the about... language issue? How did you get? Huh? Did you learn Russia? Russian? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I definitely used the. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a I'm a student, and they they could tell instantly. Like, oh, she's a black girl. Let's just speak English to her. Right. Let's not even oh, try to make so they know they they like... knew English. That was the same experience in um, Tokyo as well. Tokyo was a little harder. Um, that I relied on a lot of my um, trans translation books. Um, mm. Tokyo was 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 hard. The the bad thing and the good thing about what I find with international studies programs is that the schools, especially a school like NYU, can really tailor where you go and who you interact with. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our experiences, we got to interact with people that knew that they were dealing with American uh, foreign exchange students, and so they were English-speaking people. Now, if you are, I think, the kids of nowadays that are doing foreign programs, they are they're walling out. They're going everywhere, um, mm -hmm. and they're really getting immersed in the culture of where they're going. Now, mind you, I was a punk coming from New York City that had never been anywhere before. So my experience in these places where I went exactly to where I was told and back. Mm. So if it's, you have a class here, here's how to get there. Take this train, you know, take this transport, get there, do what you have to do, and then get yourself back to the storm. That's exactly what I did. Mm. I did not... I didn't explore, you know, which is why the, the Lawrence of today probably would have never passed the class because I'd be like, no, I got to take I got to take this car all the way over here. This side of country. And I got to go check this out. Mm. And I just met these three Russian girls and they want to take me to this bar and I'm going to go check it out. And I just met this Asian girl and she tells me there's this amazing food on the other side of town. Mm. And I'm going to leave the class because I'm going to go check it out, which is my personality, my personality now. But, you know, back then I was like, sure, I'll go to this class, I'll do what I have to do, and then I'll get my butt right back to where I'm supposed to. Right. So I didn't get to really, you know, experience the culture um, because schools such as NYU or Columbia, they, they, do, they do a great job of trying to keep you safe and trying to keep you on schedule. Mm -hmm. And so if the mission is to go to this particular city, this particular class at X time, that's what you're, that's what they're, that's what you're going to do. Um, right. And they give you very little room if you don't even want it to have the freedom to bounce around. Mm -hmm. um, and on the days when I did have the freedom, honestly, I just sat there in my room and I, I studied or I slept or I watched TV or I tried to, you know, take, um, take classes to learn the language. Um, I really did not, you know, it would have been a great movie now where you have this like black American girl in these countries and then you have all of her, you know, her counterparts. And they're like, Lauren, we're going to this bar down the block. Do you want to come? And I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. Have fun. Mm -hmm. um, but that was, you know, the story with me very often where I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. Thank you. Right. I'll see you guys later. Right. <laughs> um, so if I could, you know, redo that experience to who I am now, I probably wouldn't graduate. I'd be, you know, doing what you see in the movies, like people taking like multiple cars, trying to get to class and they barely make it to take the test. Listen, um, I mean, you never know. It could go either experience. way, right? You could have like a crazy, yeah. experience, crazy experience, especially since you're, you know, you're young and, and so forth, but it also could go bad. So, you know, everything in due time, right? Yeah, so that was definitely a good experience. Um, so when I when I finally graduated, um, and you know, was back here in New York City, my family decided that they wanted to move to Orlando, Florida. Um, I was like, that's definitely not going to happen, and so I needed to basically start working um, with a, a, a decent job that could afford New York City at the time to you know pay for my life and not have to move to Florida. Um, so I reached out to a family friend that worked at the Department of Corrections, um, and I said, you know, I really need, like, a, a job, like, a, a good job, um, because, you know, mom and dad are taking the girls to Florida. I have three younger sisters, um, and I'm just not with that. Um, and so he got me a job uh, working at the Department of Corrections uh, for the Director of Human Resources. Mm. 
so that was my entry. Um, and he's like, are you sure you don't want to do something at, at NNY? Like they have all kinds of, you know, positions that they can offer you guys. Um, and I said, oh, I'm just not paying enough. I'm not interested in some of the places that I'm trying to send me to work. Um, you know, I really just need enough so that I can pay my rent and have a decent, you know, life in New York if I'm going to stay here by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, all right, fine. He makes a call um, and I, I get the job working for the director of HR um, in charge of, you know, corrections. Um, and Where was that, that was job located? First... Where was that located? Um, on Wall Street. Oh, okay. Yeah. So on Wall Street, but on some days, um, I did have to run around basically dropping off because it was many, many years ago, mm-hmm. um, dropping off um, certain documents um, to some of the jailhouses here in New York. So um, New York, Brooklyn jailhouse, um, Manhattan, um, and some of the courts. Um, went to Rikers a couple times to drop off information. Um, but almost, I'd say about 60% of the job um, was spent with me working with her um, in an office on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first intro into HR. Um, and, you know, after about three months of working for her and sitting in on meetings and taking notes and, you know, watching her have conversations related to human resources, employment and benefits, um, I said, you know, you you look like you have a really cool job. I kind of like this. You get to talk to all these people. You know, you're involved in all decisions involving, you know, all the humans that work here. Um, and she's like, yeah, that's what HR does. Uh, we're basically in, kind of, you know, in charge of the work life of the p- people that work for whatever the company is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most CEOs and bosses don't make moves related to those employees until they speak with HR. Mm-hmm. I thought, huh, this is kind of cool. And I said, what does one have to do to basically, you know, have a job like you and to be a director one day or, you know, to, to, to have hiring, you know, rights like you do, like, like you're hiring all these people and, you know, you're changing people's lives and you're, you know, telling them they have, you know, employment, um, which is a big deal. And I thought, I looked at it as like, you know, you have such power, like you get to give people right. jobs that change their lives, you know, and bring financial income um, to their home. She's like, well, you know, you already got the NYU thing under your, under your belt, you know, you don't need to go back and do any of that, but I would recommend um, you start learning uh, the principles of HR, which you could do with, you know, various certifications, um, you know, through SHRM and different organizations. So she started setting me up um, with various classes um, with SHRM. And I just started learning about the principles of HR and, you know, why human resource people do what they do. And what I've learned over the years with HR is once you learn the practices of human resources and once you learn the employment law of your particular state and country that you're in, there is no job that a trained human resource person cannot jump into and no come mm-hmm. I should say no company that a trained human resource person could not jump into. So meaning if I got a call right this second, if I wanted to go and be the director of HR for McDonald's, I could do it because the principles are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the legal ways of doing benefits, the legal ways of hiring, um, you know, what you, how you fire someone and how you deal with uh, various aspects of their employment life, they're all the same, whether it's McDonald's, right. whether it's working for Mercedes, whether it's, you know, working for, you know, GQ Magazine as HR. It's really all the same. But what you're doing is now you're taking the HR principles and you're learning, okay, well, how does McDonald's do it for their people? How do mm. they apply these laws that I've learned about HR and how to treat people? Um, how does GQ do it and how do they talk to their employees and how much do they pay their people if I'm going to hire, you know, this person to work for GQ versus this person to work for McDonald's. Right. Um, so, you- so at that point, I realized this is definitely my career. Um, I love talking to people. I love helping people. Um, and I thought this was a really great way for me at this point in my life to have a role where I could benefit people's lives. Um, what about, going to what, about what you majored in? What, you know, you know the, th- I, the thing about majors was I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> realize is that what you majored in and what you end up actually doing that, you know, pays, you know, really well sometimes are two different things. Mm. Um, 
you know, NYU at the time tried to offer me some jobs um, that were specific to my major. You know, I, I got some positions with the Met and I got some positions with the Natural History, um, the Natural um, History Museum, but they weren't paying enough. Mm. Um, and then on the international public, on the public relations side, I mean, back then, a young black girl trying to go in to work as a, a PR person, um, it's coming as an intern, um, you know, coming at, at this particular level and earn X. None of it was enough for me to survive and pay rent and live. Mm. And so I had to forego, which, you know, PR was definitely part of my personality. And it wasn't that side of my personality wasn't as the, the skill sets were there, but the personality side were not back then. Mm-hmm. So mentally, it didn't hurt me so badly that I wasn't taking a job in the, in the world of PR. And then the history side, it was definitely part of my, my training, and I understood it. But the both of them, the jobs that I was being offered, were not enough for me to live. Mm-hmm. So you so, focus on human resources because they were paying well, and you actually, you know, like what it was all about, the whole... Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Whereas my thought when I took the position, um, I said, you know what, I'm just going to work here for six months. I'm going to get my feet wet and, you know, I will start doing my own search. Um, Mm. I will start looking for my own positions related to HR and related to PR um, and see what what I can, um, related to say history or PR and what I can land in. But I just, I liked it. Um, And I think also we get so comfortable in life. You know, it's like sometimes you're earning that decent paycheck. You're comfortable. You're doing your nine to five grind. um, You're waking up every morning. You're going to work. And it's like, well, do I want to now find the time, spend the time looking for a position, but I feel okay in this position. Mm -hmm. Um, Then do I want to try and go on interviews? And when am I going to get the time to go on interviews? Because I'm working. How's that going to work? So I find that, we really do get stuck sometimes um, if we allow ourselves in the particular stations that we're we're in in life, um, mm. and that's what happened to me um, with with the HR. I went in thinking, you know, you're just going to do this for six months, enough so that you can get your own apartment, pay some bills, and then on your spare time, you know, you're going to put your resume out there, still talk to the people at NY, um, and you know, try to go on those interviews. But every time they would even set me up on an interview, I'd have to cancel. I said, oh my God, I have to cancel because I had to do something for work. Mm. Um, or the times that they were trying to offer me, oh, sure, can you come in for an interview, you know, Tuesday at nine? No, I have to go to my other job. I can't right, Tuesday at right. nine. Or could you come in at three o'clock? No, I'm working. Um, and obviously I don't want to get in trouble and get fired at my job. I liked what I was doing. I didn't want to get in trouble. So it just honestly went by the wayside. Um right. So you're basically your career path now by default and, you know, something that you really found interesting was human resources. So tell me about that journey. Um, so, so basically I took all the classes. Um, I've got literally over like 50 different, you name it, certifications related to the HR world. Um, I later on went and got my MBA. Um, so I did that. In human Um, resources? But... Um, business management okay. um, at Columbia. Um, so HR has been fun. Um, I, I think um, to some of the people that matter in the industry, um, they would say that I'm really good when it comes to employee relations and recruiting, um, which are pretty much the things that I really focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a full cycle HR person. So whether it's benefits, whether it's legal matters, whether, you know, it's, it's uh, medical conversations, whether it's, you know, compensation, you name it, I do it all. Um, so worked a few jobs. Um, what companies corporate. did um, you? I, uh... I spent some time at Deloitte. Um, I spent about uh, six months at Mercer because the culture was just a little bit too tight for me. Mm. Um, uh, so Deloitte, Mercer, uh, spent some time working um, as the HR manager for Citibank, uh, then spent some time working um, in the medical world um, at New York Presbyterian and St. Luke's Roosevelt, um, each about a year, same thing, HR manager. Um, and I kept moving up in the ranks. So it's, you know, generalist, recruiter. Uh, then um, I started really feeling myself, I think, like around maybe 2000. 13 or so, and I just thought, I, I, I could do this. I'm going to apply for this manager position. I'm going to apply for this director position. Um, and I would go in and just 
you know, kill the interviews. Um, and so my director life started very early. My first official director position, I was 25. Um, and that was the first time where somebody hired me as a, you're the HR director. Um, and that was for um, a branch um, in Citibank here in New York City. Okay. That completely bored the Yes. So that completely bored the hell out of me. And I just thought, okay, you got to stop doing this. Like you have to stop working for these like, you know, stuffy boring companies and you have to wear the suit every day. And uh, this is just so much, you know, boring paperwork. And this is not, you know, the part of HR that you really enjoy. So one day I answered an ad um, for a company called Biscuits and Bath, which was a dog care company. Mm-hmm. And um, the pay looked good. What they put on, it said negotiable. Um, and it said, you know, looking for director of HR. At the time, I had no idea that it was a, um, a dog daycare. I just said, oh, this pay looks good. It's in New York City. Right. Um, it's, you know, in Greenwich Village. I'm applying. You know, sometimes people apply to so many jobs and you just, you know, you just hit that send, 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 send. Right. So they called. Um, I went in for an interview and I walked into a store with dogs. Wow. <laughs> it's hilarious. This is my New York journey. This is funny, Lawrence. Okay. Um, so I walk in and I got a full suit on. I know I don't have a suit on because they did say dress casual in the interview and I thought huh and in the, the interview email I thought okay whatever I'll just little casual I still had you know a half a suit on um and I when I got there I saw why <laughs> because he's like I wanted to walk you around but you're in like a stuffy suit um, right so he's like it's fine we'll just keep you you know here in the conference room and, and have conversations um and so I met with the owner at the time uh they had three stores in New York City and what I knew before I went in for the interview and what I still know to this day is you will meet with a lot of owners and CEOs and, um, you know, entrepreneurs. And it's always, you know, here's the vision. Here's the plan. You know, in X amount of years, we're going to have 20 stores. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. When you're looking to sign on somebody new, um, the dream is usually sold very hard, but mm-hmm. depending on how good the person is. And so, you know, he's like, you know, We've got three stores now in New York City. Um, you know, they're located here, Greenwich, where you'd be working, uh, Murray Hill, and we've got one on the Upper East Side. But the goal, um, you know, the, the, the company is owned by myself and my friend, but, you know, we we're going to have 10 stores by X date, and then we're going to have another 10 stores by X date. And I said, okay, that's cool. How much are you paying? Right, pretty much. <laughs> because he said, you know, I don't have a problem with dogs. I like the environment, and I love the fact that I was going to be the only HR person um, for three locations um, with 200 people. I thought, oh, this is great. This is all me. It's my show. It's my operation. Let's do it. He's like, yeah, you can wear jeans. You can wear whatever you want to work. It's a nice. very, you know, relaxed environment. I said, oh, this is great. It was in Greenwich Village. I was living the life. Um, one of my most dramatic work experiences and my first introduction into New York City retail Um retail employees, customers, face-to-face interacting with customers, the whole experience. And it was a complete like slap in the face every single day. Um, with that job, I, I walked dogs, I picked up poop. What? I walked into some of the most beautiful apartments you've ever seen in New York City because, you know, part of the business was they had dog walkers, they had transportation, they had drivers. It was a full-scale luxury dog service. Well, you only um, did HR, though. What are you doing walking no, dogs? Exactly. Because it was the kind of company and the kind of industry that, you know, your workers are unskilled laborers. There are mm-hmm. people that, you know, you just that come in for an interview and it's like, this is what you have to do and I can train you to do it. Is that okay? And it's like, sure. And because of the nature of the work that people were doing, it was a revolving door of humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a revolving door of humans because management was just literally like no tolerance. Um, no, nope, this person did this with a dog, get him out. No, nope, this person was, you know, an hour late, get him out. No, nope, this person didn't show up, get him out. And when I first started, I, I literally went home and like sat in the tub a couple of times like, these people are crazy. They don't know how to deal with it with people. It's a startup vibe. Sound like a startup environment. Uh, yeah, I was like, this is hostile. Like, I don't understand. But I had to start to put my mind in the, okay, wait, they're caring for people's 
animal children, which is what, you know, people that own animals believe that their animals are. They're, they're an extension of their family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my pitch had to completely change when I was interviewing and hiring people. And it's, listen, you're not just here to, you know, deal with a cute, fuzzy dog. You're here to deal with someone's animal child. Mm-hmm. And I really want to try to put that in your head so that you understand how serious this is, because this is not the gap. Mm-hmm. This is a completely different <laughs> right. world. You know, right. the, the T-shirts won't bite you. The T-shirt won't pee on you. And there's no real harm if you mess up a T-shirt. Here, if you do something to hurt one of these animals, I can be sued. Right. <laughs> and I will end up on the news. And so this is a, a, a life. It's a different life, but it is a life that you're dealing with. Um, and they do talk back. And so they will do things to you. Right. And so I really had to change my pitch um, in all of my interviews to help some of the unskilled, um, untrained uh people coming in to work with us, what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, and after about a year or so, people started getting it. After about a year or so, we did open another store. And, you know, fast forward, I could probably write a book on my life at Biscuits. And while I was there, we went from three stores to 10 stores when I finally retired. Wow. Um, and to this day, if you Google them, they do still have, I think the number is at 15 stores right now in New York City still up and running, doing very well. I don't know how they're doing right now, right. but you know, know. up and running, doing well. Um, but it was a long road. Um, it was all kinds of relationships. We even had a store today at the time, um, even had a store in one of the Trump Tower locations. Wow. So that could tell you, and also some of the, the not some, but almost 90% of the clientele were New York City rich. So, you know, Mayor Bloomberg had his dog there and Beyonce and Jay-Z had their dog there and, you know, all kinds of, or or Jay-Z's sister, um, all kinds of, you know, people that could afford what that life entailed, which was, you know, sometimes maybe $10,000 a month to have their dog cared for. So that was also part of the education for some of the people that I was hiring. Mm -hmm. Hey, when you go to this apartment to pick up this dog, by the way, you may be walking into Mayor Bloomberg's apartment. By the way, you may be walking into Jay-Z's sister's apartment. By the way, you may be walking into this person's apartment. So that was also part of the revolving door because they're going into some of the richest, most beautiful apartments in New York City. And, you know, sometimes they did things. <laughs> and I had to get the call. And it's like, this employee, he opened my fridge. Or, oh, wow. employee, he didn't take the dog here. And the dog just pissed on a million-dollar Persian record. Wow. From you were busy as an HR what? person. Why did you do that? Right. And so it, it was a matter. We had a bracelet on the table, and now the bracelet's gone. And the only person that was in the apartment was your dog walker. Wow. So what are you going to do? And it's like, oh, my God. So it was constant things like that over the, the about six years that I spent with them um, and having those kind of conversations and dealing with young people. It was a lot of young people. It was uh, every person coming into the position um, at certain, depending on, on the position, was at minimum wage. So, you know, you can think how minimum wage fluctuated over the years. When mm-hmm. I started, it was about seven twenty-five with them back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it was an amazing experience. I totally got burnt out um, from it um, because my role, it just changed over the years. It went from HR to dealing with construction, um, which is, you know, how that ties into some of the construction work that I do now. And it was helping to build out um, some of the structures for our locations and how they would benefit the work environment for the employees. So I did some of that. I had legal issues. Um, I had all kinds of, you name it, situations. Were were they still paying you well, though? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Over the years, with everything that I I did, um, I I went up beautifully in salary. Um, At my second year in the company, you know, and I, the owner says, do you want to invest a little? And I said, well, I don't have that kind of money. My third year, um, I did have a little bit of money. I put a tiny bit in. um, And so when I resigned and, you know, left after six years, um, I took away more than just, you know, a severance of my resignation letter. I took away like a little tiny piece. Um, and so, so that was really cool. Um, so I got burnt out, um, a plethora of experience. Um, 
I then decided to take a little trip. Um, and so I went to France um, and for about two months um, I lived there and I did hiring um, and training for Yellowtail um, because they had a division in the wine company out there. Um, which was super fun, mm-hmm. um, and it was a good um, it was a good release. Um, right. Fast forward, I, I come back, and I'm like, "Oh, you're back. You're not, you know, rich, so you do have to find a job." So went through a couple of different companies, but I didn't want to go in as like a full time employee, and so that's where my life as a consultant started. I just thought, you know what, what I can mentally take right now is just, you know, maybe going into some place and doing some work for six months to three months, um, and then being able to cut out and move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And that's um, when you founded What Now? Yes. Yeah, so that's when I started What Now. Um, I literally started the company thinking, you know what, if people need a skilled and trained HR person to go in and do quick, short projects, this is what you'll do. Um, so it worked very well. It was enough for me to take care of myself. I worked for some very, very cool companies, very cool entrepreneurs. Um, How did you get your business? I, I, How do you get business for the company? Um, a lot, a lot of word of mouth. Um, my website, um, I spent a lot of time dealing with the SEO on my website so that the ranking, um, does pretty well for the category that it's in. Mm-hmm. Um, but referrals are a big deal for me. So the cool thing about, you know, working with small companies is that small companies know other small companies, uh, of people that they're associated with are in their market. So usually about 90% of the time when I finish working for a small company, um, while I'm there or soon after, they're telling me about a friend or a friend or this other company that they know that needs my kind of work and here, reach out to this person or they call me. Oh, nice. Um, so it's been a very nice, consistent flow. Of course, I've had like some better years than others. Um, so what else? So fast forward to about 2014, um, I was doing all my consulting. I was having a great time. I was really enjoying it. I was traveling. Um, I got a call from um, one of my friends and one of the ex-employees that had worked at Biscuits and Bath. Um, and the dog care world in New York City, is it's very it's niche, of course, mm-hmm. and it's very small, and you know who the players are. Um, and so he called and he said, hey, what are you up to? Um, you know, I'm not with Biscuits anymore, and I'm actually uh, dealing with, you know, this guy named Mitch Merrow, who used to be an NFL player, who then went to work in hedge funds, who is now looking to buy um, a chain of dog stores. Wow. Um, I thought, what? <laughs> an NFL player who wants to take his money and now buy dog stores, because it's, it's, it is a financially rewarding business to be in if you know how to do it. Mm. Um, and I thought, okay, that's interesting. And he's like, you know, you're an HR guru, expert, wonderful person. Do you want to come in and do HR for us? Um, and I thought, yeah, I don't want to go back into that world. Um, my stress level is doing really well right now. I, you know, I finish my days at whatever time I want. I'm good. Um, and that, this like, is you just doing your business. HR consulting thing. Huh? Say it again. Just you doing your HR consulting. We're comfortable with that. Yeah, I was, I was fine. I was perfectly comfortable. Um, I was enjoying it. I was earning enough. I was having, it was, it was a, a good year <laughs> when he called. Right. Um, and he's like, well, just go in and meet with them. You know, just come and meet with Mitch, meet with, meet with the, um, you know, meet, meet with the, uh, this other guy who I had, I then found out the reason that, you know, they had the funds to do what they were doing is because they had received backing from an equity firm. Mm. And so, you know, the money was there and they were ready to go. Um, so I go in and, you know, I meet with, you know, the, the head of the equity firm, um, and I meet with Mitch and they're like, we've heard all about you. We know what you've done, you know, and actually Mitch tried to poach me, uh, when I worked for Biscuits, um, mm. and when I, uh, when I was doing HR, so his name, I was very familiar with him. Right. And so, you know, when he then, you know, got in bed with my, my coworker, he's like, oh, I've heard of Lawrence. I know her. I know her in the industry. Totally. Have her come work wow. for us. Hire her right now. Um, but when I went, I was like, guys, I'm, I'm fine. Um, I understand what this world entails and I'm, 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 I'm good. Like I, it's almost right. like, think about it where if, you know, think about it, I don't want to put myself in that category, but just to give you an example, if say like a COVID doctor who's working right now, um, finishes and we pass COVID and life is okay for us and we're all okay. But then 
a year and a half later, gets a call in another country and says, hey, I remember you were a part of, you know, that New York COVID. Unfortunately, we now have the same experience in this other state or this other country. We want you. You're like, eh. Right. No. I, I, Been there, done that. Yeah. I got Been burnt there, out. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. And they're like, no, 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 we'll offer you this much money. No, 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 it's okay. Because the experience that you that got you that training and you know that got you to that point where people are like wow you did a great job was so traumatic that you're like no way right um and so after a couple conversations um i took some time and i thought about it um and i said well here's what i could do um i have some money now (laughs) and i know some people with money so what i want to do is um i want to invest i want to be an investor and then at that point, then I'll feel comfortable working with your with the HR. I would do everything to build out the HR component for this company and for the other stores that you're looking to open um, with the kale that I am not a consult. I'm not just a consultant. I, I own a part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. Um, and so I went in as an investor. I went in as, you know, the HR person. And they were also very serious about, opening locations. Um, mm-hmm. He bought four stores from a retiring couple and we took those four stores and we uh, turned them to eight stores wow. um, in the span of about two and a half years. So very aggressive building, um, very aggressive build out um, in some of the nicest um, high rise apartment buildings in New York City. Wow. Mercedes House, Silver Towers, um, another nice location in Connecticut. Um, my main focus, my main focus was HR, humans, mm-hmm. humans, humans, any person looking to work for the company. But then one day it kind of turned into, I remember I was on a trip and, you know, I think all of the locations are um, in condos, uh, condos or, you know, regular residential buildings. Mm-hmm. So I got a call because nobody else was picking up their phone um, and it's, hey, you know, one of your locations, there's a leak and it's leaking into the common area um, of this condo, which was in City Hall, right across the street from um, the City Hall building. So it's a very nice building. Um, And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll make some calls. I'll look into it. No problem. I think this was like two months in. So fast forward, I made some calls, got a plumber, got it handled from where I was. No issues. Came back. And, you know, the guys are like, you know, when we bought these four locations, we never really did like an assessment of what was wrong with them. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I remember sitting in the meeting like, yeah, he's like, I never really like, you know, ask them what's up with your infrastructure? What's going on with these stores? Right. <laughs> any repairs, any, you know, New York City building violations. Um, and I thought, wow, okay. And that was the moment where it all just kind of changed. And the life there went from not just HR, but then I turned into, you know, head of facilities. Um, and so my time was split between dealing with humans and dealing with the uh, locations um, and doing a full assessment. And so that's where my re-education of, you Did know, your salary or equity go up? Did your salary um, or equity yeah, go up? Yeah, you definitely, after, after doing it for about six months, um, because at the time, you have to remember, when, you, when you're already an owner, anything extra that you put on your plate, it's a part of the job. This is a part of your, your, your business. Right. So it's about, the, it's about the future money and the long-term money and not about really what I'm putting in my pocket every week. So it's like, no problem. Of course, I'm going to look into it because this is my investment. So I'm going to go and... I'm doing this. So you had a good, you had a good, um, you had a decent share equity. So it wasn't like, you know, 2%. Yeah, yeah, it was something sure. significant. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it was definitely something significant where it was like worth it to invest all of, my, like all of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I focused my time on learning, cleaning up the stores. Um, I renovated uh, two locations, close to a million dollars worth. Wow. Uh, cleaned up, you know, Department of, of Building Issues and Violations. And then at that point, I had already been so immersed in it that when we, when there was a location that had started before I joined, which was Silver Towers on 42nd and 11th, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be the flagship location, um, over 10,000 square feet. But wow. the people that they hired to build the location, um, you know, as 
what happens very often with New York City construction or any construction anywhere um, didn't really do the best job. And so when we opened, we had a flood of issues constantly. Mm. And so then I kicked in where it's like, okay, well, that's what I do. I go in and I take a look at what happened so that I can fix it. And so that became like a huge part of my life was taking this this 10,000 square foot location and putting more money into it to fix the issues and having those horrible conversations with the contractors and the architects on, you guys really like screwed us. And now we have to do all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so did that, opened up locations. Um, and then at about around 2018, um, I started getting that overwhelming um, anxiety. I'm itch getting again, burnt out. Um, where it's like, you know, I'm getting burnt out. You guys are choking me. I can't take this anymore. And part of it was also because we had acquired um, another dog care business that had two stores. So they had mm. two stores. And so we bought them and we put them under the umbrella. And so the stress of that, um, the owners, you know, people are people. Um, and that's where sometimes you have these like reality shows where you put people together because personalities are just so funny. Mm-hmm. And so when you put personalities in certain environments, it's just hilarious. Mm. Um, so it was just, it was, it was, it was too much. And so I started getting that itch again. And I thought, you know, I think I need to start backing off because I'm working like, you know, 100 hours, right. um, you know, a week. Um, and I feel like I'm working 24-7. Um, and so I started the plan to kind of start to back off a little bit. How many locations um, and by 2018 did you guys have? At the time, um, we had nine locations. Okay. And it was started from four? He says these guys started It was started four. from four. So four locations were bought. Um, they were called K9 Ranch, and they were bought from a retiring couple. Mm-hmm. Um, they had four locations that they had had forever. Um, uh, 20th Street and 6th Avenue, um, City Hall, 72nd Street, uh, 54th Street. Right. Um, and so they had these little locations, um, and, you know, what they were doing back then, they kind of wanted them to look like a country ranch. Mm. And so, you know, when we took over, we just went in and kind of, like, cleaned house and did our whole remodel, did that right. whole thing. Um, but bought four and then built four and then bought two. So okay. at the time, actually, in 2018, it was 12 because we bought the two. Right. Um but you were wearing so, multiple hats. You were human resources. Now you were. I was the- HR. I was employee relations. I was construction. And so that our our team for all of this was was a, a ten man team, hmm. and all people were people like me, um, that all had different skill sets with all different backgrounds, mm-hmm. but that ha- had a connection to whether it was the owner or somebody else. And so it's like me calling you and saying oh my God, you know, you're excellent at writing, you're excellent at PR, we need a marketing person, I love your background, come and work with me here. Mm. Um, and then you you call your your friend and you're like, listen, I just signed on to this project and they tell me they need an ops manager. I work with you at this company, I think you're awesome, come and be a part of this venture with me. Mm-hmm. So it had like it a startup like vibe, that. a very startup vibe. Oh, super startup, super 100% startup, which is why now with my HR, all I focus on are startups mm. because the need, the needs of a startup and the needs of an entrepreneur are, are not the same needs as a, as a full blown company that's been, you know, around for X number of years. Right. Um, they're, they have so many insecurities, whether it's financial insecurities, whether it's people insecurities, whether it's, you know, <laughs> doing things the legal way insecurities. Right. Um, but how a startup company behaves um, versus how, you know, a company that's been around forever behaves are two different things. Um, right. And how you approach them and talk to them and tell them that they have to do new things and buy new things is hard because as a startup, there's always that, no way, we don't need that. We're fine. Right. We don't need to buy that. We're okay. No, right. no, no. We don't want to do that now. Um, and so their growing pains are so much harder. Right. Um so that was so it was a team of 10. We all focused on different things, um, bringing in our skill sets from our past professional careers. Um, and so my past professional career before I started with them had really nothing to do with construction and nothing to do with having to deal with Department of Buildings and read plans. None of that stuff was really things that I focused on, but I had to learn it because it got thrown in my lap. Mm. And I had to learn it because I had to hire those people 
to deal with things. Um, Mm -hmm. When, you know, the bathroom blew up and it's like, all right, Lauren, do you want to renovate this location? Sure, I'll do it. But I'll do it means that I was a project manager hiring the construction workers. So I had to... I had to learn the lingo of the construction worker. And it's like, okay, these guys are going to try and take advantage of me. They're going to try and take advantage of my company. I'm just a girl. I then went into classes to learn how to read blueprints. And I then went and started to take classes to learn how to become a general contractor because I wanted to be, to not get ripped off um, with the conversations that I had to right. have with these guys. Right. So, so, you know, different hats you wear as an owner, as an equity owner. And because you were an equity owner, you were like, when they put these things in your lap, you were like, you know what? I can't even say no because this is my own company, you know? Yeah, you just do it. And that's a startup mentality. Um, You know, if you think about any kind of startup you're working on now, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's if someone were to call you tomorrow and say, hey, do you have a little bit of money once we get out of this whole thing to invest in X business? Once you put your own personal money into it, um, there's nothing that you're, you're going to, you're not, you're going to do everything. If you right. want me to be, to be, you know, handing out flyers in front of the store to get people in, no problem. If you want me to learn how to build a website, I, I don't do that, but I'm going to learn <laughs> because right, right. it's my company and I have to, right. you know? So, and that's where the mindset was when I started with biscuits years ago that, you know, we had drivers not come in, we had dog walkers not come in. And so I have people that are expecting a service that they paid for. Mm -hmm. And just because I don't have the body, I know how to drive a car and I have a license. So, okay, I got to put these dogs in the car and I have to follow these directions and go drop them off. I'm doing it. (laughs) So that's that's how that happened. But now you, you you know, Biscuits, you were an employee, but now you're, you're owner doing all this. You're an owner. I'm an owner doing all these things. And so the conversation was always, it was a little different. Um, and some, and people didn't know, we didn't like identifying ourselves and it was, you know, I'm having a situation with so-and-so what's going on. It's like, well, how can I help you? And yes, the buck does stop with me. Mm, <laughs> and then right. you later explain to them why the buck stops with you and you're not just a regular person. I'm not right. just regular Lawrence that you're talking to. No, no, this is the final answer. And above me is the owner, owner above me. Right, <laughs> and right. he doesn't really know anything about this. He's going to defer to me. Right. So we're done talking. Right. Pretty um, much. How was that feeling? So it was, you it, know, it was a, it was a also a lot of work, but it also seemed like it was a, you know, a, a good place to be in terms of influence and power. Oh yeah, I loved it. It was really fun. Um, I mean, if I were to send you like some pictures of, you know, people that I've I've taken pictures with and had to deal with, um, which is why I love Bloomy, and I thought he was gonna really go for the head because we worked with him so much mm-hmm. on employment, or I worked with him so much on employment stuff. Um, I loved it when I when we launched locations i would invite my friends like people that you know like invite them to the launch of the locations to kind of see like wow look at this wow Um, i didn't even know the dog dog industry was like a thing you know (laughs) like i didn't know it was so lucrative it's it's a multi-million dollar industry um and in new york city let's say you have take every 15 blocks in manhattan you could have a location doing something, mm. whether it's grooming, whether it's transportation, whether it's dog walking, you could have something. Right. The owner of Biscuits, who is a multimillionaire, um, I can share his name with you later. Thank you for listening to part one of Lawrence Casimir Amazing Entrepreneurial Journey. Please stay tuned for part two and conclusion don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified and remember it's never too late to leap to follow your dreams and passion go is leap back until next time this is kelsey cooper